Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey, listeners, as many of you are in the midst of residency interviews, or maybe you're just getting ahead on preparing for job searching after graduation, or maybe you are looking to make a change in your career. I wanted to bring on a special guest who is also a friend and get her perspective from the recruiter standpoint. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Sarah Ruth Hendricks, has spent almost a decade building health tech startups. She cut her teeth in healthcare technology at Oscar Health, where she helped grow the team by a thousand in less than two years. She moved on to Sidewalk Labs, an alphabet company, where she scaled the internal team and launched several of its portfolio companies, including CityBlock Health. Most recently, she led U.S. portfolio talent for Octopus Ventures, a U.K.-based VC fund that specializes in launching health tech companies. Currently, she leads recruiting for Time Care, a Nashville-based oncology navigation startup backed by Andreessen, Horowitz, Alicor, Frisk Cressy, Kasdan, and Bessemer. Sarah Ruth lives in Nashville with her husband, Michael, and their golden retrievers, Charlotte and Lucy. Sarah Ruth, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you so much, Hillary. I'm really excited to be able to join you today. Thank you for inviting me to be here. Well, thank you for joining us, and I know that our listeners are really going to be excited about this topic. Uh, It's not fully covered in pharmacy school, Mm -hmm. and so I think there's still a little bit of mystery, and so hopefully we can demystify um, that a bit. But uh, maybe you could share a little bit, I mean, gosh, uh, such fascinating experience in a lot of these uh, healthcare startup space, Mm but how how did you get into you know recruiting and um, tell us a little bit more about uh, just a little bit more about your background and and how you got into the the startup world and helping building teams? Absolutely, no. It's it's sort of funny when you ask a lot of folks who are recruiting um, or in recruiting and, and are recruiters, whether executive search folks or folks who are internal building companies. I would bet that nine times out of ten. They just said that somehow, for some reason or another, they stumbled into recruiting, and that's my story too. There is, uh, there's nothing in my sort of you know growing up years or life that ever you know uh, that I ever had top of mind to say like, oh my goodness, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a recruiter. Uh, I think very few people would probably say that. When I went to college, I actually thought I was going to be a lawyer, or maybe I was going to go get my MBA and work in business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is, it's been interesting to see that my career took a very different shift. Um, funny enough, when I graduated college, I started working for a magazine and really thought I was going to continue working in media, marketing, and, and even publishing. And the thing that I realized during my time there is I loved interviewing people. 
right? Mm. I didn't really think about it at the time, but I loved talking to folks who were doing interesting things in the world that had built interesting careers and learning from them. I think that's kind of where the germ of the idea of perhaps even, you know, having a career like this one really started to, to occur. And then eventually, I guess about 10 years ago, I was lucky enough to connect with a friend who was in the middle of, of sort of this, you know, not necessarily life crisis, but I think we all have this season of time, mm-hmm. you know, a, several years after graduation where we're, mm-hmm. we're thinking about making a, a pivot, right? We have tried things and perhaps mm-hmm. we enjoyed some of them, but we wanted to do something different. Um, and I was lucky enough that the friend that I was having a conversation with was actually the chief of staff at a company called Oscar Health. And so my friend um, had so graciously offered to submit a resume for me to um, the company. To be honest, I had no idea what role he was submitting my resume for. Um, But I was having an opportunity to talk to the talent leader at the time, who eventually would become my boss. He, um, in in my first conversation with him, really convinced me that recruiting, especially for these high growth, early stage startups, is, mm-hmm. is really the backbone and the heartbeat of the business, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the organization is tasked to grow and grow quickly. And without a fantastic recruiting organization, you know, the, they won't be able to meet their objectives. And so I mm-hmm. was told I could give it a year and then move into a different part of the organization if, if that's really what I wanted. But turns mm-hmm. out about, I guess, three weeks into my time, you know, as a, as a recruiting coordinator, a junior recruiter, you know, I realized that I loved it. Mm-hmm. And, and here we are today, almost a, a decade later, uh, with, mm-hmm. with several interesting experiences underneath my belt that I feel so lucky um, and blessed to have been able to to experience. Yeah, that that's awesome. And uh, just, you know, you're very conversational and personable. And so I bet that is just a great way to be able to to meet candidates. So tell us a little bit about what what does, you know, the interview process look like? And, um, you know, how, yeah, kind of start to finish, like, all right, a position is open. And, and granted, I know a lot of our audience is, um, are pharmacists, pharmacy students, um, more of, you know, clinical job, maybe you're, you know, working in, in the retail or community setting and, or you're in the hospital, or maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you're in informatics and you might be, eligible to like work at one of these new startups um, and bring some of those uh, technical and analytical skills there. So, but, but at, at the basic level, there's got to be some commonalities to the interview and what makes it, what makes a good interview. So tell us a little bit more from your perspective. Absolutely. No, you hit the nail on the head, Hillary. When you're talking about, you know, what does the interview process look like? I think just with the caveat that it's going to be different for a clinical role, right? A role at a hospital, in a pharmacy, et cetera, than it probably will look like when you're at a startup. Um, and so I think the the two different sort of paths that I would see for an interview process is often pretty straightforward, right? It's you know submitting a resume, having an interview, and then which could be on the phone, it could be on video, it could be in person, and then moving forward to references if you're in a clinical setting. But if you're looking at going to a health tech startup, it's going to be a lot more involved and a bit more complex. And so I would say my expertise, though, I've been lucky enough to work with companies that have built out healthcare clinics at Oscar Health and and things like that. 
um, my experience is really, you know, hiring folks into some of these healthcare technology startups. So if you're looking at businesses like a Capsule or a GoodRx or an Alto, even mm-hmm. TruePill or PillPack, right? I would say that the hiring process is going to be a bit more involved and have several more stages. And so it mm-hmm. always begins for the most part, unless you're getting sourced by a recruiter on, on LinkedIn or referred from a, by a friend into the company. Always starts mm-hmm. with a resume, you know, submitting that application into your ATS. And I know this is actually something that Hillary and I are going to talk about a little bit later, which is, you know, do people actually look at your resume or is it, yes. in a, is it just a total black hole? Um, it can be both, right? People sometimes mm-hmm. do, and sometimes it is a black hole. And we can talk about how to maybe get it out of the black hole later. But when you're looking at, you know, this sort of first step of the process, it's always a resume review. Then oftentimes you'll have an opportunity to speak on the phone with the recruiter, or a hiring manager, or maybe even both. And then once you move through that process, you get to a full loop of conversations. And that's actually the interesting part to me, right? Where you are mm-hmm. um, talking to usually several folks across the organization. It's usually peers. It'll be you know folks that you'll work really closely with and cross-functional roles in the organization. It might even be with some technical folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those conversations, they'll typically be asking for examples of your past experience. And so rather than just, you know, diving into, I did this, or I did that, or, you know, I own this and I was responsible for that. Oftentimes mm-hmm. people want to hear real stories of, you know, times that you've been able to work through a challenge or, you know, times when you're able to add value to the organization, perhaps without even being prompted, right? Whatever way, shape, or form or color that might look like. Um, And then, of course, once you make it through the full loop, oftentimes you are going to have references that are going to be run. More often than not, people want to know how to best set you up for success and, you know, how to make sure that, you know, that you'd be around for the long term. And oftentimes references do that. They're not always just to check the box to make sure you were at this company at the time that it mm-hmm. said that you were on your resume. And then following that is, is the higher stage. So it's it can be long and it can be involved. And, and, and sometimes, you know, when you're looking at clinical hiring processes, they can be just, you know, a, a couple of interactions and then the waiting period before you hear back. And that's kind of similar for us here in startup land, um, where, you know, it is a, is a pretty involved process and there could be some periods of waiting. Um, but all in all, it ends up being mostly those few steps. Okay. So what makes a candidate stand out to you? So it's one of my favorite questions that I'm so glad that you asked. And it's interesting. So, and I'm going to have a little bit of a caveat here. I think that, you know, you'll be a standout if you do a bit of research about the business or the organization that you're applying to. And so what does that mean? I think it means maybe two things. I think, first of all, on a cover letter, which by the way, can either really hurt you or actually Mm -hmm. really add a ton of credibility to your application. And I think cover letters that hurt you are cover letters that are generic. I think oftentimes they also leave a lot of windows for typos and spelling errors and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So I oftentimes don't recommend cover letters unless they're required. Um, But if you are the type of person who wants to go the extra mile to do some research, to really understand what is it that this business actually does, right? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, an organization that's selling directly to consumers? Is it an organization that's selling into health plans and insurers, right? Is it an organization that's working with providers? Understanding even that little piece will probably help you get to know like some of the nuances of a particular role. And so that's something that I think is really important. If someone can write a cover letter to say, I've had this experience and you know, I've been able to run this particular project and I see from the research that I've done or 
maybe a conversation that I've had with someone in the business that this is what you as an organization are doing, um, then I would be really excited by that because it tells me that the person isn't just, you know, sending in an application to send in an application, but they've really thought about, you know, the business and, and hopefully the resume correlates to the job that we're looking for as well. And that makes someone to me a, a huge standout candidate. And then the other piece is, you know, the resume, of course. I think resumes are important. They are not the be-all, end-all. But if you don't have any connections with the business and are really putting in a cold resume to them, I would say it's kind of important to make sure that the way that you write your resume is actually based in accomplishments rather than, again, responsibilities. People are not going to be super excited to see that you can, you know, you were responsible for using this system and you were responsible for, you know, owning this or that, but they're going to be really interested to hear about the value that you were able to bring. You know, were you able to, you know, increase capacity by X percent or, you know, reduce costs by X percent in this time frame? Like those are the pieces of information that a lot of employers want to know because they want to know that, you know, when you join the team that you'll be making those same improvements to their business too. Yeah. Like, what can you get done? So, Sarah Ruth, what about for for new grads? You know, we've got students on here, and they might be thinking, gosh, um, I, haven't, I haven't ever had a full job, or what kind of things do I need to put on to stand out? What kind of advice would you give to them? Absolutely. I, I, that's a question that I get frequently, too. Interestingly enough, at Time Care right now, we are an organization that is hiring folks who probably have about four plus years of experience. So we haven't been making entry level hires. So we get a lot of questions from folks who are entry level who want to work with us. And I think the advice that I have for an, any entry level folks who maybe are you know, submitting resumes to different jobs, but not really hearing back, it's work your network, build a network first, and then you know, figure out how you can you know, talk to and find the right folks to be able to help you get your foot in the door in some capacity. So it's a competitive job market, but the nice thing is, is that because there is a shortage of healthcare jobs, especially, you should be able to have an opportunity to find something that hopefully you really enjoy relatively quickly. So practically, what does that mean? I think that you know, there are some great ways to be able to, to connect with other folks who are perhaps folks that you might look up to. Um, in the industry who are a little bit further ahead than you, I would say go to LinkedIn and and look at different organizations that you respect and even cold email people if you think that their job is interesting and ask them for advice. Ask them to a coffee that you're going to pay for um, to help you get some perspective on what they did to be able to get where they are today. I think that's been something that, you know, for me has been invaluable even in my career, just getting to know where folks who are maybe two or three stages ahead of me um, are at and how they got there. It really opens a lot of doors. And then sometimes they have connections and know of folks too, who might be looking for junior talent to join them. And they can make those introductions as well. I wouldn't go in the conversation expecting that, um, but it could be a great externality of those conversations. There also are oftentimes local groups, whether you'd find them on Meetup or even, you know, hosted through your university that would connect you with folks who are in the community who are professionals. And I would say just attend those, right? And, and don't be afraid or shy of talking to people. There is, you know, always opportunity to strike up conversations and you never know where those conversations might go. Uh, and, and sometimes those sort of, you know, conversations that you have at these events you know, might be something that you'll revisit two years down the line because you met someone and they're running a really amazing business and you'd be perfect to join them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's really great advice. Um, so just to pull out the informational interviews of, of people mm-hmm. that are higher up than mm-hmm. you or, or further along in their career, um, I think that's great. I, I yeah. learned that from uh, the Design Your Life book a few years mm-hmm. back. It's a mm-hmm. great tip. Um, and let's see, kind of going back to um, okay. Entry level people. Uh, a lot of times, you know, they're like, oh gosh, they're asking for all of this experience. I don't have experience. Uh, something that I will often tell students is you may not get your dream job, you yep. know, right after school mm-hmm. and that's okay. You just need to get your feet wet, um, build your network as you mentioned. Um, and you may get your foot in the door at, mm-hmm. you know, we're here in Nashville. Maybe you've always wanted to work at Vanderbilt very reputable, uh, mm-hmm. hospital, and you may not get the clinical ICU job right out the gate, but maybe you have a different position and, and you work your way up. Um, but those are really great tips. So what about for, um, people that have, you know, they've made it past the, the first or second, uh, steps in the interview process, and then they just, never hear back. Or maybe they get a lot of strikeouts. Maybe they have, maybe they are, they are submitting their resume to, you know, 20, 50 places and are hearing nothing back. Uh, what, what do you have to say for those people? Oh my goodness. Well, just kind of going back to your point just a moment ago, and then I want to revisit this. I completely agree with you. Get experience where you can find it. Um, if you're struggling to find your first role, I, I think that it's absolutely okay to dive into something, even if it's not your dream job, because chances are you'll build a skill set. And it's also nice too to learn that maybe that thing you thought you don't like, maybe you actually do like it a little bit. Um, and maybe that dream job is maybe less of a, you know, a rosy picture than you thought it was because maybe your gifts and talents are in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I've thought a lot about. Um, and I think really is the a great way to describe even, you know, the beginning of my career, something that I thought I really wanted to do. And then exactly. realized, you know, a couple years later that it was good experience, but really wasn't what I was super passionate about doing. And, and I'm grateful for it. But going back to, you know, I'm not hearing back from anyone. I mm-hmm. am maybe, you know, making it to the first couple of stages of the interview process. And then for some reason or another, I'm getting that dreaded rejection email. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Um, unfortunately, there are so many open opportunities right now that I'm sure this is the story for for so many folks, but I would say a couple of things. I think first of all, to the person who is submitting a bunch of applications and is not hearing back from anyone, I'd say it's actually okay to cold LinkedIn email. I know they have the in-mail option on, on, on LinkedIn, which is really fantastic. See if you can find folks who are on the team that you'd be interested in working with and just reach out to them. Tell them that you're a prospective, you know, you're an applicant, you would love to be part of the team and you'd love to learn more about it. And then oftentimes, you know, if you're not hearing from people, that's a totally different story, but oftentimes people will respond. And that's a fantastic way to be able to, to hear back from organizations that you're really excited about. Even if the opportunity doesn't pan out, again, you've made a connection and, and you know, hopefully you can learn something from that conversation with that person. That's one of the best ways that I've seen in the past for, you know, folks whose application maybe has fallen on deaf ears or maybe hasn't even been reviewed. But yet when someone reaches out on, on LinkedIn, more times than not, that's an inbox that is 
definitely less full than someone's email inbox or even in their application review. And so you'll have a better opportunity of being seen. So that's something that I would absolutely suggest doing. I know that hiring managers and folks on teams who might be listening to this might say, no, we get a lot of those, but Mm -hmm. I have found it to be incredibly helpful. And I've been able to honestly find some great hires who reached out to me proactively when I just had too much on my plate and had it necessarily kept up with inbound applications. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say keep on doing that and and try to find ways to make that happen. But for folks who are going through the interview process and are getting close to the end and getting turned down, it's always fair to ask for feedback, right? If you're finding that you are in the interview process and you know, you're finding these roles that are super exciting and all of a sudden you're getting no and it's the same stage and, you know, it's the same kind of note. Ask why, right? Mm. Sometimes people won't be straightforward, but oftentimes they will, especially if you start to build relationships with folks during the interview process. They might tell you that, you know, the roles that you're aiming for are going to be too senior. And if you hear that theme a couple of times, maybe take that to heart and maybe it's okay to be aiming for a lateral move or a similar title to what you already have if that might be the blocker. Or, you know, it might be around the way that you're presenting yourself. It might be that your communication is as concise as they would hope. And that actually is helpful because it's directional and it helps you work on something so that in the future, you know, you might not be there. But I think the hardest part is when you are going through the process. It's it takes so much energy to interview. It can be demoralizing and is demoralizing when you get to that no and you know folks aren't willing to give you feedback. Um, I would probably look at those two things because they're the two most frequent, I think, um, reasons why we see folks not make it through the interview process. Yeah. Okay. That's very helpful. So one thing that I I realized within the last few years was hearing that, you know, as an applicant or you can actually work with a recruiter. So uh, I know that you know, I get emails all the time from just random recruiters. Mm-hmm. Oh, move to Southern California, whatever many figure salary mm-hmm. it is, Rolling Hills or North Carolina. But I, and so that's always an option probably. Mm-hmm. But even if you're looking for more executive positions, like maybe you want to get a chief pharmacy yes. position officer yes. or something like that. What, how, how does that relationship work. I've never really tried to, to build a relationship with a recruiter. Um, give us some insight there. Absolutely. Well, you've also kind of described the two different types of recruiting firms that we typically see, right? Agency recruiters. Those are typically the ones that will say, you know, move out to you know Las Vegas, Nevada and mm-hmm. increase your salary by three times if you come and join X company, right? And it's typically for you know, a mid-level role, it could be a senior role, you know, you, you never know what people are going to be feeding you. But oftentimes those folks are going to be, you know, working with a bunch of different clients. It's probably not going to be as white glove as a process. They'll typically do like a, a quick intake call with you to get to know you and get to know what you're looking for. And then they'll blast your resume out to all of their clients that might have a mildly relevant opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, it's a great opportunity if you are you know, more junior in your career to, to work with an agency recruiter, but I wouldn't expect them to be like really listening to everything that you want to do or taking, you know, extra care to make sure that you would get a role. To be honest, 
right? Working with any type of recruiter does not promise that you will get placed, but it will help you get in front of the right types of jobs. And so if I were someone who's going to be working with a recruiter, I would try to find perhaps a boutique firm that is going to be more likely working with the types of companies and the types of jobs that I would be interested in. And you can kind of search and figure that out by honestly Googling the businesses, the, the recruiting firms, and looking who, at who their client lists are. They oftentimes will boast you know, the clients that they're working with, the successful placements that they've had, and that should be able to give you a pretty clear picture of the types of relationships that these firms have and the types of roles that they place. I really appreciate working with executive firms. When I was in venture capital, I did a lot of work just building out networks of fantastic executive recruiters and um, hopefully, you know, making introductions to our portfolio companies when they had a need for an executive hire. So if you are looking for a chief pharmacy you know, role, you know, these are fantastic organizations to work with because chances are that role is probably not going to be posted online. Chances are you're not going to be able to search to find it. You'll have to probably go through a recruiter or even you know, an exec that you know who might already be at the business to be able to find out what that job is. And so if you're looking for you know, one of these really senior roles, you know, honestly, submit a resume to these firms. Oftentimes, they'll be much more hands-on with you. It'll probably take an hour, hour and a half to get to know you oftentimes through a top grading interview to go through your career from top to bottom to understand who you are and the things that motivate you and you know, what you'd love to be doing in the future. Um, and then from there, they'll continue to you know, keep you updated with opportunities that are in front of them. And if there is something that's relevant, oftentimes you're in the driver's seat, right? You have the opportunity to choose whether or not you want to enter into this process or that process. Um, and it ends up being, I think, a, probably a pretty smooth process for for folks. I would encourage, you know, find recruiters. I can't say that everyone is going to be the best in the world, right? Incentives also sometimes make things a little bit complicated, but I'd say more often than not, if you find folks who are in the right, you know, industry, working with the types of companies that you're interested in, chances are they're going to want to have a symbiotic relationship and, you know, build a relationship because it, even if it doesn't work out right now, it doesn't mean it's not going to work out in two years or even in, you know, five years or even further down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another thing that you've mentioned throughout is the importance of LinkedIn. Uh, I've I've run across you know some people that you know maybe they're students and they don't have a LinkedIn profile yet, or uh, maybe they're older in their career mm. and they've just not set that up. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the importance of LinkedIn, and and I'm sure from you know the recruiting standpoint. Where do you go to view that online presence and to get a little bit more about the applicant? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think LinkedIn is one of those things that is almost, you know, it's a it's a challenging platform to navigate and it is a bit labor intensive to set up a profile. But a lot of these recruiters, whether they are executive search folks or even you know agency folks or even folks who are in-house within companies themselves, they're going to be using LinkedIn as their bread and butter in and out and doing all sorts of searches to try to figure out how can they find the talent that would best meet the needs of their business. And so there's opportunities for you to be able to put your education and you know your experiences, whether those are internships or even jobs that you've had before you went into you know pharmacy school. And um, there are so many opportunities to then sort of add that experience. And, and interestingly enough, LinkedIn lets folks search by location and by keyword. 
And so anything that you can do to sort of help boost your profile a little bit and get some of those keywords done. And oh, by the way, there's been a new feature that was introduced in the pandemic where you can click a little button on your profile that says open to work. And so that will allow recruiters to be able to see that you're open to work publicly. And there even is another secondary level that will allow you to say to recruiters even more subtly, if you don't feel comfortable having that open to work flag on your profile, um, that will let recruiters who do have recruiter access on LinkedIn, which allows them to search all the profiles to know that you're open and looking for a new role. And so that's just low hanging fruit. A profile is mm-hmm. free. Um, and, and that's going to be a place where even if you're a recruiter, right, oftentimes if I'm interested in, you know, a particular company or a graduating class, I'm going to go online and actually just start searching people who are there and then maybe even looking at some of those internships that they might have. And if someone has information on LinkedIn, I'm probably more likely going to reach out to that person who has a bit more information on their profile than the person who, you know, just listed their school and the mm-hmm. name of the one place that they in, interned, you know, for a summer, but without any information in their profile at all. And so if you are looking for a job and you haven't built a profile yet, I would just encourage you to do that because that seems to be just a fantastic place for, for folks to go, you know, if they are going to be looking for someone like you. Mm-hmm. You'll be surprised at how many millions of searches happen every single day uh, that recruiters conduct to find talent. And uh, follow the company that you're absolutely to. Yes, absolutely on there. One of the other cool things about LinkedIn, if, if you don't mind, they have mm-hmm. subgroups too. So when we were talking about building networks, it's also been a fantastic place even for me to be able to, you know, oftentimes just join these groups that are mm-hmm. full of like-minded recruiters. Or even there's some organizations that when I was living in New York, it was a women's networking organization in New York for folks who are in the tech space. And so those mm-hmm. were fantastic places to go um, to be able to connect with folks who are like-minded and in similar roles and you know facing similar challenges. Or if you're looking for a job, it's a great place to learn about job opportunities too. Yeah. All right. So switching gears or, or just to put you know, the other side of the coin. Uh, we've talked a lot about the applicant side, but it is nice even for applicants to like think like the organization or the hiring manager mm-hmm. thinks. Mm-hmm. So what are what are some things that uh, are on, you know, the hiring manager's minds or on, you know, the, the organization's mind as they're uh, looking for talent and um, making those jobs available and going through and, and trying to select people to interview and, and potentially come on board? Uh, Great question. You're going to get me to my recruiting philosophy conversation. So I believe that recruiting is really a four-step process. There's a definition stage, there is a sourcing stage, there is an interviewing stage, and then of course there's the hire stage. And so interestingly enough, people think that the recruiting process for the most part starts at the interviewing stage, which is actually the second to the last step in the process. Um, and so most of the work in recruiting and when you're working with you know, a hiring manager or an exec to really figure out what you, what you need in a role is that definition stage, right? You spend so much time usually trying to write out a job description and mm-hmm. figure out what are the right profiles that would make sense for this particular role. And so oftentimes, you know, hiring managers are trying to do their best to you know, close their eyes and imagine what needs to get done. And I, this, is, this is something that uh, as a sidebar, um, I'm hopeful that 
job descriptions will be able to move a little bit more into the 21st century where they focus more on deliverables, um, almost like OKRs, right? What does this role need to accomplish? And really what's what's the objective? And then what are the key results that would actually lead to accomplishing that objective? I think that will make it way easier for folks to be able to understand if the role is actually right for them to apply to or not. But um, that's another story. But the hiring manager will spend a lot of time defining what that role will look like and then really building out what that ideal profile needs to be, right? You've got a mission, you've got outcomes that you need to be able to achieve from this hire in the role. And then oftentimes we'll start to build out what are perhaps those competencies or those soft skills that would allow someone to be successful in that role. And then usually that's what you build your your interview process from and you're going to start your sourcing strategy from. So it might be that you've applied to a bunch of different roles, let's say, you know, in a particular, uh, you know, uh, clinic or setting or something like that. But you know, it looks like you might meet all of the qualifications on paper, but there are a whole lot of ideas that oftentimes are in the back of the hiring manager's mind or the company's mind that maybe you don't know of. Maybe there's a new strategic direction that the company isn't even able to talk about yet. And so they're actually going to be looking for, for folks who have, you know, X number of experiences, years of experience at a nonprofit, right? Rather than at a hospital. And you might not know that. Um, and so sometimes there's bits of information, too, that you're not going to be privy to. But at, at the same time, right, you think about um, the interview process actually predicated on those things that you've defined that you need. Um, and then finally, right, you kind of get to that higher stage. And so when I'm when I'm working with hiring managers and I think, you know, more hiring managers are probably not thinking about it in the way that I'm thinking about it. Um, but just try to do what you can to put yourself in the shoes of the person, which is, Um, that is making this hire, which is why I think that broader business context is so important because it's probably your best window into understanding what the hiring manager might need, right? It has the business just raised a round of funding. Well, that actually might influence the way that the hiring manager is thinking about this role, right? Have they just signed a big deal or launched a partnership or expanded into a new market? Um, This is the tech side of me that's speaking, right? That'll actually influence probably the way that you should, the hiring manager will be thinking about this next hire. Awesome. Well, this has really helped to, I guess, pull the curtain a bit behind uh, what happens in the interview process and very informative. I think that our listeners is there preparing for residency interviews or maybe just, you know, upon graduation or even those looking to make a change uh, in their, you know, current uh, job or where they are, this will be really helpful information. Uh, So Sarah Ruth, as one of my final questions that I love to ask guests, uh, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for others out there who are just getting started in their career? Don't be afraid to try something new. I wish that I would have told myself that when I was 21, um, because I think you uh, get into a new role, or at least in the context of this, right? You're getting into a new role, and sometimes you just feel stuck. Um, And I think that I wish I would have told myself a little bit earlier that it was okay to make a career move, and it was okay to do something different. Maybe work for a different type of business that you know no one in my family or my friends really knew anything about, uh, which was the startup space. Um, But really grateful that eventually kind of came around to it and, and, and learned to not necessarily be afraid of, of trying something new and doing something new that I, I wasn't used to and perhaps didn't necessarily have a category for. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you so much, Hillary. It's been such a pleasure to get to chat with you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening. 